so often, Jeremiah had to be the odd man out. So often, Jeremiah had to be the odd man out. The last two times that we've been in Jeremiah together, we have focused on how weird and how painful it must have been to live the life of a faithful Old Testament prophet in Jeremiah's day. Last time, we focused especially on the the painfulness of it. Jeremiah felt alone and uh, attacked often because he was often alone and attacked. Even though he didn't owe anybody any money and nobody owed him any money, everybody treated him like they did. And his neighbors conspired to kill him. And he had to deliver the same sad message for 40 years. Anybody done anything for 40 years? Except for breathe? The same sad message for 40 years, in and out. A broken record about a broken covenant and the judgment that was therefore on the way. So that Jeremiah was often weeping. And sometimes he actually wished that he had never been born. We saw that last week in chapter 15. In fact, last time he actually went too far in what he said, out of his pain, because he just about accused the Lord of being unfaithful and unreliable. Do you remember that? So the Lord had to rebuke Jeremiah and call him to repent and be restored and resent on his prophetic mission. That was last time. Two times ago, we focused on how weird it was to be a prophet. Not so much painful, but weird. All these strange things Jeremiah had to do, like like the time he had to travel 700 miles round trip to bury a linen belt next to the river, and then travel 700 miles round trip back to dig up that no longer beautiful belt, now ruined linen belt, to wear around town just to make a point about how ruined the people of Judah were. That's weird. Well, in chapter 16... He puts together the weird and the painful in a new and fresh way. We're going to see how this his his call to live a weird life must have been extremely painful for Jeremiah. All to get across the painful point of the title of this message, which is drawn right from the painful words of verse 5, where Yahweh says through Jeremiah, I have withdrawn my blessing." My love and my pity from this people, declares the Lord. Friends, those are scary words. You don't want to hear, you don't want to hear those words and put yourself in the this people of that sentence. I have withdrawn my blessing, my love, and my pity from this people declares the Lord. Those are scary words. And they go right together with the scary words we read in last week's title from chapter 15, verse 6. I can no longer show compassion. I'm worn out with relenting. Time is up. It's time for judgment. I have withdrawn my blessing. Do you feel how scary those words are? Those words are the message that Jeremiah was called to live out by being the odd man out. Let me show you what I mean. 
Let's start in verse 1 of chapter 16 and see what the Lord asked Jeremiah to do. Probably from a very young age. Jeremiah 16.1 Then the word of the Lord came to me, You must not marry and have sons or daughters in this place. That would have been very hard for Jeremiah to hear. He was going to be the odd man out in his society. It, it was incredibly unusual for a Jewish man in Old Testament times to not be married. In fact, there was no one Hebrew word for bachelor. I mean, there's a way you can say it in Hebrew, of course, but there isn't a word for it because all the young men got married. Nearly 100%. Be fruitful and multiply. The Jews took it seriously. It was part of what it meant to be God's people during that time. So being told by the Lord to not marry was a deprivation. It was out of step with His culture. It was unusual. It was weird. It was a hardship. It was odd. No marriage means no sex. And no children. And the Hebrews loved their children, didn't they? Think about what the Psalms say about the blessings of having children. But Jeremiah? Nope. None. Celibacy and childlessness. Now, of course, there are many worse things than that in our world. Not everyone gets to marry and not everyone gets to have children. Our Lord Jesus Christ was also unmarried. Never had sex. Never had physical children. And Jesus was the most blessed person there ever was. It's not the end of the world. But in Jeremiah's day, this was very odd. And it was probably very painful. And it was supposed to be. Because he was supposed to live that way to make a point. Jeremiah, I want you to be the odd man out. And watch all of your friends from high school marry and then have, have kids. But you don't get to go on any dates. And you never can buy a car seat or a stroller. You must not marry and have sons or daughters in this place. Why? Verse 3. For this is what the Lord says about the sons and daughters born in this land and about the women who are their mothers and the men who are their fathers. They will die. Of deadly diseases. They will not be mourned or buried, but will be like refuse lying on the ground. They will perish by sword and famine, and their dead bodies will become food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. So when, when Jeremiah's family gets together and his Jewish aunt say, Why didn't Jerry ever get married? The answer is, because so many of our kids are going to die in the exile. Because Jeremiah's life is a walking parable. Judgment is on the way. And every day that he walks alone, his very life says it to the people around him. I suppose it was a mercy in a way to Jeremiah that he didn't have those loved ones to lose when the exile actually came. But it was a deprivation none, all the same. And it wasn't just celibacy and childlessness. Jeremiah also wasn't allowed to attend funerals. 
Look at verse 5 from where we get our title. For this is what the Lord says, Do not enter a house where there is a funeral meal. Do not go to mourn or show sympathy because I have withdrawn my blessing, my love and my pity from this people, declares the Lord. Fred and Susie Edwards would have never seen Jeremiah at Strange and Weaver or Johnson's. He would not have been allowed to sit down and eat ham and scalloped potatoes in the fellowship hall after Bob Lutz's or Jeannie Walter's funerals. He was the odd man out. He had to pass by. He missed those social opportunities to band together with your neighbors and your family members to help each other to grieve and to just be together as you mourn. Why? Because he had to live a point. Because I have withdrawn my blessing, my love, and my pity from this people, declares the Lord. I'm sure it was offensive. I'm sure Jeremiah gave offense that he didn't come to the funeral. Because it's not like he didn't love those people. But Yahweh said, no, you cannot go and be with them. That was the point. Giving offense was the point. The Lord was saying that He is not offering His blessing. Literally, His peace. His shalom. Which, which consists of His love. His chesed. His steadfast, loyal, unfailing love. And, and His pity. His compassion. He's withdrawing them. They are being rolled back and kept from Judah. Judah. All of the blessings of the covenant are being withdrawn, taken away from these people like a man who's not allowed to attend a funeral and express peace and commitment and comfort. Because the exile is coming. And it will mean no blessing, no love, and no pity for Judah. Verse 6, both high and low will die in this land. They will not be buried or mourned. No funerals. And no one will cut himself or shave his head for them. No one will offer food to comfort those who mourn for the dead. Not even for a father or a mother. Nor will anyone give them a drink to console them. Jeremiah lived his life in such a way as to say, soon there will be so much death there won't be any funerals. There will not be a hospitality team to put on a funeral meal. Jeremiah lived his life as a preview of coming detractions. And it wasn't just funerals. It was also the celebrations, like weddings. Verse 8, And do not enter a house where there is feasting, and sit down to eat and drink. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, Before your eyes and in your days, I will bring an end to the sounds of joy and gladness and to the voices of bride and bridegroom in this place. Jeremiah wasn't allowed to go to Labor Day family picnics. And he sure wasn't allowed to attend wedding receptions. Because soon and very soon there will be no more feasting and no more dancing and no more joyful voice of the bride or the bridegroom in, in Judah. Because the Lord was withdrawing His blessings. Judah had to be the odd, Jer, Jeremiah had to be the odd man out. So how do we apply that to our lives today? 
if we want to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ in 2022. Thankfully, these commands were for Jeremiah and Jeremiah alone. These strange ways of living are not the pattern that the Lord has called you and me to follow today. We're allowed to marry. Praise the Lord. I've got head of joy. Woo! Amen? Amen. In fact, it's, inc it's encouraged for Christians to marry other Christians. Though singleness is also valued in the New Testament. Read 1 Corinthians. But marriage is on the table as a holy option. And having children is a blessing for married couples to pursue. And we're allowed to go to funerals. In fact, we often should to show love and express grief with the people we love. And we're allowed to go to parties too. You got a picnic to go to tomorrow? Maybe a, a fire somewhere? I don't know what you do for Labor Day. It's kind of a weird kind of holiday. It's the end of summer and the beginning of fall. What do you do to mark that? Well, you get together. Enjoy. We're allowed to do those things because you and I are not called to be prophetic symbols of a broken covenant. However, I do think there's a lesson in here somewhere about being okay with being out of step with our culture, even our Christian culture. I think there's something in here about being okay with being the odd man out, the odd woman out, the being something of an odd duck. Could I put it this way as point number one of two this morning? Live weird for the Lord. Live weird for the Lord. I told my wife this week, she thought I was saying that the title of the sermon was going to be Live Weird for Jesus. Okay, That's not a bad title. Do that. Hashtag live weird for Jesus. What I mean is, our lives may not be living parables about a broken covenant, but our lives do send a message by how we live them. So we need to be okay with living differently than the people around us to send a message with our lives. See, Jeremiah was, if, if you think about Jesus' words, to live, we're not to be in, we're, allowed to, we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. Jeremiah was not really allowed to be in the world in certain ways so that he wasn't of the world. We're allowed to be in the world, but we're still not allowed to be of the world. Not that we're better than anybody else, far from it, but because we belong to Jesus, the Savior who enacted a better covenant, the new covenant with His blood. So there's bound to be some ways that we will live our lives differently from the people around us, even than other professing Christians. You can probably think of the ways, right? If you can't, let's get together and brainstorm them. Some of them will be painful. Because you'll be the odd duck, right? The whole world is driving this way, and you're driving this way. There's things that we can't do, that we don't feel allowed to do, because we belong to Jesus. The people around us may feel free to do them, but you and I do not. You know what I mean? And we will seem weird. And of course, it's not just what we're free, not free to do, but also what we are free to do that will make us stand out. I mean, live your life with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, and you will seem to be an odd duck. Because that's in short supply in our world. Live weird for Jesus. Haley, 
Live weird for Jesus in the NICU. Live like a walking sermon about the grace of God. Not exactly like Jeremiah, of course, but following his example and being willing to be uncomfortable, to be different because we belong to King Jesus. Like Peter said, as foreigners and exiles, in other words, as weirdos and outsiders, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul and live such good weird lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good weird deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Live weird for Jesus. One key way to live weird for Jesus is to clearly see our own sin. Because Judah sure couldn't. Look with me at verse 10. When you tell these people all this and they ask you, why has the Lord decreed such a great disaster against us? What wrong have we done? What sin have we committed against the Lord our God? Now stop there for just a second. Are you like me wondering where these people have been? They see Jeremiah living like the odd man out. He doesn't have a family. He doesn't go to funerals. He doesn't go to weddings. He doesn't go to parties. And when they ask him, why don't you do all those things? He says, because judgment is coming. Because the Lord has withdrawn his blessings, his love and his pity from this people. And they say, huh, how come? What do we do wrong? How did they not know what they had done wrong? We all know what they've done wrong, right? We're 16, this is, we're, in, we're 16 chapters in, wondering how we're going to get to chapter 52, listening to Jeremiah say what they'd done wrong. 52 ways that they'd left their divine lover. Jeremiah was a broken record about a broken covenant. How many prophets had Yahweh sent and they're unaware of their sin? We can be weird and different for the Lord just by being cognizant of our own sinfulness and temptations. Last week I asked you to answer the question, what lies do you want to believe? What'd you come up with? Are you aware of your own weaknesses? Are you aware of your own shortcomings? Are you aware of your own temptations? Are you aware of your own sins? Or are you like Judah saying, I don't know. What have we done? Look at verse 11. Then say to them, it is because your fathers forsook me, declares the Lord, and followed other gods and served and worshipped them. They forsook me and did not keep my law. But not just them. You've learned from them and they did them one better. Verse 12. But you have behaved more wickedly than your fathers. See how each of you is following the stubbornness of his evil heart instead of obeying me. See it. So I will throw you out of this land into a land neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you will serve other gods day and night for I will show you no favor. They're going to be uprooted. He says they're going to be thrown out of the land. Hurled. They're going to be shown no grace. The Lord has withdrawn His blessing, His love, and His pity from this people. And we call that justice. Because the Lord is holy, holy, holy. And Judah has been wicked, wicked, wicked. 
Now, one of the things I love about this chapter is that the Lord sprinkles in some hints of hope among all the hopelessness of the rest of the chapter. It's a pretty depressing chapter with Jeremiah's odd lifestyle and Judah's wicked sin and the Lord's guaranteed withdrawal of His covenant blessings. But there are also little pinpricks of light that burst out into the darkness. Yes, the exile is coming for sure, but the Lord has some plans for His people for after the exile. Look at verse 14. However, the days are coming. I love it when he starts to talk like that. The days are coming, declares the Lord. When men will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where He had banished them, for I will restore them to the land I gave their forefathers. Now do you see what's going on there? (laughs) I love this. What was the biggest rescue the Lord had ever done for His people? The one that they were always returning to again and again? The Exodus, right? Let my people go. The Red Sea rescue. Pharaoh and his army have been hurled into the sea. So when they wanted to swear by the living God and all the great things they did, they would say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, I'll do such and so forth. But Jeremiah says that soon they'll have something bigger to brag on about their God. Something bigger than that to celebrate and to swear by. As surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites back from exile. Even exile is not the end. Not because they don't don't deserve it. This is going to be all of grace. A greater exodus is now on the calendar. The Lord plans to restore His people to the land. Though first he must root them out and send them away. That's verse 16. But now I will send for many fishermen, declares the Lord, and they will catch them, the Judahites. After that I will send for many hunters, and they will hunt them down on every mountain and hill and from the crevices of the rocks. My eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their sin concealed from my eyes. I will repay them double for their wickedness and their sin because they have defiled my land with the lifeless forms of their vile images and have filled my inheritance with their detestable idols. They may not have known what they have done, but I certainly know what they've done. None of it has escaped my gaze. And they will not escape the judgment that is on the way. In other words, I have withdrawn my blessing, my love, and my pity from this people, declares the Lord. But in God's amazing grace, that's not the end of the story. This chapter ends on a high note of hopefulness. Because the Lord plans to restore His blessings to His people. What He had withdrawn and rolled back, He is now going to roll back towards them. And not just to His own Jewish people, but to Gentiles too. To the nations. Look and see what Jeremiah says in verse 19. O Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in time of distress, to you the nations will come from the ends of the earth and say, Our fathers possessed nothing but false gods, worthless idols that did them no good. Do men make their own gods? Yes, but they are not gods. Therefore, I will teach them. This time I will teach them my power and might. Then they will know that my name is the Lord. Here's application point number two of two this morning. Last one. Take refuge 
in the Lord. Take refuge in the Lord. Doesn't verse 19 sound like something out of the Psalms? Just a year ago, we finished up our long series on the Psalms and started in on 1 Peter. Doesn't 19 just sound like one of them? I love how Jeremiah piles up these strong names for the Lord. O Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in times of distress. He knows who the Lord is. Now the Lord is the one bringing the distress. And yet Jeremiah knows that the Lord is also still the place to run to when it comes. My strength, my fortress, my refuge, my safe place. Do you run to the Lord in your times of distress? The weeping prophet knew where he should really turn when times were tough. Because he knows just how gracious the Lord is. Even though the Lord has withdrawn His blessing from His people, it won't be forever. He's also promised a time when those blessings, His peace, His love, His compassion, will be poured out on His people again. And not just on the Jews, but also on the nations. And you know who that means? People right here. That's us. It means the Gentiles of central Pennsylvania. Jeremiah's talking about you and me. The Gospel is going to reach, he says, to the end of the earth, all the way to Clearfield County, Pennsylvania. I like to joke to people that Lance is the center of the known universe. People are like, where's Lance? I'm like, well, it's the center of the known universe. State College is a suburb of Lance, right? It's really not. It's really the ends of the earth if Jerusalem is the center. And the Gospel has reached all the way here. And Gentiles like you and me have woken up and said, verse 19, our ancestors possessed nothing but false gods, worthless idols that did them no good. Do men make their own gods? Yes, we do. But they're like scarecrows in a melon patch. They are not real gods. They are empty. But the Lord is full and strong. He is our strength. He is now our fortress. He is now our refuge. We have come to know and trust Him. Amen? Amazingly, you and I have a relationship with this God. Like Paul said to the Thessalonians, who were also pagans, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. You know there's wrath coming, right? And Jesus is the only way out. Jeremiah could only see this hazily and in part. Like if you read verses, what is it, 19 through 21, you don't go, hey, Pennsylvania, just automatically. Jeremiah sure didn't. He didn't know anything about us. And yet he did. And he was talking about us. We're living in verses 19 through 21 right now. The Lord is teaching us His power and might. And we know Him so that you and I can take refuge in Him.